And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. We are two games deep into the James Harden era in Philadelphia, and so far it has been spectacular. Rich and I dive deep on our first impressions of James Harden with the Sixers, how he fits with Embiid, the job Doc Rivers is doing staggering the rotations, and how to get Tobias Harris out of his funk. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, part of the Athletics Podcast Network. Before we start off, I just want to apologize to everyone. Uh, we took a little bit of a pause here in the podcast as I had some personal matters to deal with in my own life. I don't really want to get into the details of them on the podcast. I'm happy to have basketball back and something to concentrate on and a good team to talk about. I didn't want to apologize for lack of podcasting that out of the way here. How you doing, Rich? I'm doing pretty good, man. It's uh, yeah, it's been a whirlwind couple of weeks and uh, man, this past weekend, you know, I, I said, I, I put the tweet out there after Friday night's game, but I, I guess we can move it up for the whole weekend and just say, you know, as far as like a Philadelphia sports debut and, and one that really had a lot of, um, expectation coming in to it. The the two that I thought lived up to James Harden's first weekend in Philadelphia were Terrell Owens. I think he had three touchdowns in his first yep. game in Philadelphia and Cliff Lee. I, I forget if he gave up a run or not, but he just absolutely schooled the San Francisco giants on a Friday night game through a complete game, I believe. And obviously that was the precursor. Those teams didn't win championships, but those teams both made the finals uh, yep. in their respective seasons, and those players were were both awesome. Yeah, there were high expectations for James Harden, and I, you know, I, I obviously thought it was going to be pretty good. I, I'm not sure I expected it to be that good right no, away. No, that was um, that was some shit, man. That was some shit. So the Sixers a 133 to 102 win over the Timberwolves, who sport about I think the 17th ish ranked defense in the league been trending downwards a lot of late they started off real strong um then they beat the knicks 125 to 109 knicks game was close a little bit late uh, and then the sixers pulled away in the fourth quarter knicks are a disaster on well on both ends of the court but especially on defense because that was what they built their, their team on last year Bing they are bong. not a good defensive team this year um so sixers have not really been tested in the harden and beat era but they've been completely dominant and i have some numbers here that are going to come out here soon in a column. Thank God. Cause I don't have any of those. So <laughs> they have outscored opponents 152 to 106 in the 53 minutes that Embiid and Harden have shared the floor. That is a 46 point differential in 53 minutes of play. You're, you start talking about a, I think it's like a plus 43 or so net rating. Like you're, you're talking, I have the numbers here. I should be better at this. I, Nope. Oh, there we go. 134.5 offensive rating and a 91.4 defensive rating for a plus 43.1 overall net rating. Again, it's only 53 minutes, not against two good teams, but it's been, it's been easy. It's been easy for them and every, every, well, it's been easy for everyone outside of Tobias Harris. We'll get to that in a second, but James Harden, Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxey, they've gotten whatever they want. Um, James Harden, he can play as a facilitator in the starting lineup. He can play as a high usage, highly efficient guy in the second unit. It's been a much more seamless fit than anyone could have expected. And you're talking about like two or three practices in two games. Who knows what it could be like in three months. And that's my general thought with this, right? Because like, you're right. The Timberwolves trending downwards. The Knicks stink. They're just bad. That's how Julius the Sixers are is so bad. 
Oh my yeah. God. What all that narrative run. And look, when he has a year where he just shoots the heck out of the ball, he can look competent. His defense is freaking atrocious. Like he does. He is a complete space cadet. It's so bad. Anyway, anyway, we're not a next podcast. Doesn't matter. But even with the, you know, with the acknowledgement that they did not play the two best teams in the world this weekend, you know, I was watching that and, and I think you are right. Easy is the word that I take away from the weekend. I would say easy and simple would be the two words I, I would take away the most. Um, I, I also look at it and think, well, the Sixers are going to get better at it too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're yeah. going to play better teams, but they're going to get more familiarity too. And like, there'll be a book out on, like, it'll go both ways. There'll be a book out on them and good defensive teams will know what to take away. And, but you get to a point and I'm sure we'll probably pivot in this real soon. And that, that Embiid Harden pick and roll that we probably, we were probably a little over concerned about just because we'd never seen Embiid as a role man. I was over concerned about it. I mean, it, not to it, say I thought it was going to be good, uh, but I thought there would be some things to wrinkle out. There's yeah, really not a lot to no, wrinkle out. It looks pretty good. Because <laughs> you get to a point where you can only double team so many people before you're just out of defenders and somebody's wide open. And they found that comfort zone real quickly. And again, I think especially the 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 Wolves who are the more competent of the two teams, but they play a real aggressive style on the perimeter with the pick and roll. And that sort of plays into James Harden's hands a little bit because he can see over that. He can make those passes when he's trapped and get guys into rotations. I do think like... I want to see it against Miami and Milwaukee. Sure. But those are two real good players. And there's only so much you can do. You can only take away so much. Yeah. He, uh, I think Embiid over the weekend, and I know he only made seven field goals en route to his, uh, his 37 points yesterday because of some free throw shooting that he did. But I do think over the weekend, he had about six or seven of the easiest buckets I've yeah. ever seen him get. And that was his main theme on Friday. Like after the game in Minnesota, he was just like, I can't believe it. He was like, this is, <laughs> he, it was funny. Cause he, he took the podium with Harden afterwards. And he also said like, this is great. Nobody's asking me a question right now either. Cause Harden is the new guy. And sure. most people wanted to get his perspective on things. So, I mean, he really had a fun night at the, uh, at the office where he had, had he had to do a lot less. And, you know, I, he is obviously a very smart guy, and he does not hesitate to point out how hard he has to work for his points. Like, yeah. I wouldn't say he he pines for the MVP or, or stumps for himself, but he does point out like, hey, uh, all my buckets are pretty much self-created on this current team right now, which they were. Uh, and now you just add this guy who really can handle a lot of uh, – of stuff and they have worked beautifully together in the pick and roll. And I, you know, Harden was talking about it after the game, like, Hey, we have to figure out when he rolls, when he pops, like when we have to get that timing down. But I got to say he's mixed some of it up in the first two games. seems like they're on the same track. Like I think Harden might've thrown one pick six out of that pick and roll, but all right, the rest of it was pretty good. You, you'll take one pick six. If, if that's the, uh, that's the total part of it, but it, it does seem I asked him about the the rolling versus the popping yesterday, and Maxi was sitting next to him, and you can tell the rest of the players on the team, while worshiping him and knowing how good he is, do give him a little bit of shit for popping sure. at all times because it's true he is not an elite above the rim guy, which is what we talked about with our concerns for this uh, for this partnership. Here's the thing though, he's seven foot two, he's just gigantic, he's very good if. You get him the ball down low, he's going to get fouled or make it. Like It doesn't really matter if he's an above-the-rim guy. He could just catch it, come down with it, and then lay it in or dunk it, too. It's uh, It, it was very impressive. I mean, yeah. it was just – and, like, look, I think looking forward towards the playoffs, that that's the most exciting thing for the Sixers. You know, we talk about all these plays and, you know, how hard it is to enter the ball to Embiid in the post for such a long time. That looks like in the playoffs, like you can just run a pick and roll and yep. you can get a good shot. That's what the playoffs boil down to. It it bodes well, you know, who knows? Just two games, but uh, an encouraging two games. <laughs> well, to your point, with that starting group on, specifically with the three-man group of Embiid, Maxi, and Harden, Harden has 22 assists to two turnovers. So yeah, not a whole lot of pick sixes on the pick and roll passing so far. Uh, but going back to the pick and roll, and you know, I 
you're right. Like he's still, and he's made, I think two or three where he actually rolled all the way to the rim, caught the pass, gathered himself, takes a little bit of time. It's not Clint Capella, but he's bigger and stronger and has better touch than almost anyone down there. So it ends up working. It's like, it's but, like giving him great post position. Almost. Yeah. Like it's, it's easy, but even so, and that's only going to happen a couple times, once or twice, three times a game anyway. I think those short rolls are going to end up being real key. And we've talked about it a lot. We talked about it a lot with Ben Simmons yeah. a couple of years ago because he just didn't know what to do with them. You know, but I think the improvement that Joel Embiid has made as a mid-range shooter and as a mid-range decision maker, like when he talks about uh, why he started facing up so much more and why him and Drew Hanlon and six assistants over the years, and this has been like a three or four year stretch where he's improved upon, it's just because he can see the floor so much better. And now when he gets the ball in there, and I think when you saw, you know, Houston went away from pick and rolls a lot with James Harden, in part because of Russell Westbrook. You want to get a five out to open things up for him. But in part because I think teams started really understanding that, all right, trap James Harden 28 feet from the basket. Make him give the ball up to Clint Capella. Clint Capella, if he's not getting all the way to the rim, he's not going to be great. He can't shoot from 15 feet. You don't want to make decisions against a, a defense. John B can make those decisions. He can kick it out to the corner. He can... Um, find the cutter. He's much more comfortable playing that short roll game than could, Capella was. He could freaking tear the rim down too. If and he can that. tear the rim down. So if, you know, some of the stuff that used to work against, well, while you're not going to get the same looks that Harden and Capella got, some of the stuff that used to work against Harden and Capella won't work against Harden and Embiid. And it sort of plays right into Joel Embiid's comfort zone and what he's developed over the years. So I think, is it going to look like what you saw Harden and Capella? No. But that's fine. It's gonna be it's gonna be different. And I think I did undersell how much of Joel Embiid's struggles were just A, the fact that he never had anyone that you had to go over the screen on. <laughs> and with James Harden, if you're not you He's, know, by the way, he said that over the weekend too. Yeah. And like part of it's that, and part of it's the fact that he has grown so much from the mid-range, both as a shooter and a decision maker. If you go under on those, or even not over, if you just fight over and drop, James Harden's gonna tear you up. If you trap James Harden on the perimeter, you're giving Joel Embiid an odd man, odd man rush when he's got the ball in his hands and, and the part of the court that he likes the most. Like, there's just no real good options. You can't switch it because anybody who's quick enough to guard James Harden isn't going to be big enough to defend Joel Embiid. There's just, there's no easy solution. And it's been so long since Sixers had a two-man game where there was no easy solution. It's fun to watch. Fun to watch. Yep. Well, and you, you think back to Embiid, he's had the two-man game with... Redick with Curry, and those were two different types of two-man games. Like Redick was the the fast dribble handoff game, and Curry was the let's call it a methodical <laughs> pick and roll. But but both very effective, and he worked his way to make those partnerships very successful. Um, but now with with James Harden, like that's just a different caliber of player. J- JJ and Seth were both awesome players for the Sixers, both like very helpful. I think both of them would even say, all right, James Harden, that's a, a different deal. And right. the, uh, the the other thing that I think we saw this weekend too, and you know, I'm sure some people who watch Harden in Brooklyn are, are wondering about this a little bit. He looks fairly healthy right now. <laughs> I like he does not, obviously he's not the, I don't know, like the 2016 Harden with his finishing sure. around the rim. Like you, yeah. if he gets stuck, it's, it's a little bit of a problem, but he looks pretty spry. The hamstring looks okay. And that's a huge part because if, if that hamstring was really bothering him and he didn't have the, uh, the ability to get all the way to the rim, then, you know, I still think he could make it work to a, a large degree with Embiid, but it becomes a different proposition. Look pretty good. Honestly. Yeah. That's, I wonder, uh, I wonder a little bit if there hadn't been so much speculation and discussion about the hamstring, if there wasn't the all-star game jokes from Charles Barkley. If he doesn't play in those first two games before the all-star break, I wonder how much of that was optics, which we'll never know. Cause they'll never admit to, but I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if it was optics and he just didn't want to play with true, true. Durant too. Uh, well, doesn't matter anymore. The, uh, the Sixers only lost one game by 50 points, but who cares? So yeah, I mean, it, it looked really good. And I, and I would say the other, I, I guess we can maneuver into the other Wait, I, I guess the other thing with Harden too, and this is, this is a very obvious point. The Sixers have never had anybody who can dribble through his legs 10 times and make a four point play and have it be a good shot. Like that is, that is a different feeling being on this side 
(laughs) of it for them. Like, and even myself watching it, like when that used to happen to them, when they play the Rockets, I would say, oh, that, that sucks. Uh, (laughs) Like that's tough luck on that one. And now I just write in my notes that sucks for the other team now because you know, he can, it, it looks like he's still going to be able to destroy switches if, uh, if Embiid's guy gets put on him. So yeah. And they had that play. Doc already has that play where he catches the ball in the corner and gets the dribble handoff going to his left hand. I, I just feel like teams are eventually going to settle on like Tobias taking a three at the end of it. It's going to be a good shot though, regardless of what happens. And well, as he as Derek shakes his head right now, but uh, it'll be a good shot if he takes it. Yeah, I guess. So, yeah, he's. I mean, just a a wildly impressive debut, and I guess we can kind of segue into the next part where I was also a little bit skeptical. I mean, that's as good as it gets for Maxi, young Tyrese. Um, yeah, yeah, and look again. I was n- not concerned long term, but I thought there would be a period where it took Tyrese to adjust to playing almost or at least way more off ball than he had before. And man, he looks fucking great. Like he looks fantastic. And I do wonder a little bit once you start getting a better defense, if they're just like, Hey, look, don't close out on him hard. Like come up five feet short and make him shoot over you. Like, you know, right now there's some wild closeouts going that again, undisciplined, bad defenses, but boy, is he taking advantage of every misstep. Uh, and he is shot out of a cannon from the perimeter, going to the hoop, take every advantage that James Harden is creating. He's making the most of, he's making his perimeter shots. Joel Embiid is laughing at him as he's hitting step back threes. Um, <laughs> for every advantage that Tobias Harris isn't taking advantage of Tyrese Maxey is. And if he's doing that and you actually have a big three here, who you can count on, I mean, they're going to put up monster numbers. Do you know that? What do you think? When James Harden is playing alongside Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey, what do you think his usage rate is? 20? 15. Wow. 15. He has taken 13 field goal attempts and five free throw attempts in those, I think it's 48 minutes when you had all three of them together, compared to 22 assists in that time. He is playing, and look, I think when he first went to Brooklyn, he was trying to play this role where he's a little more of a setup man and distributor. And then everybody either got injured or fell into conspiracy theories on the internet. And that wasn't able to sustain itself. Um, I do wonder a little bit if he's going to assert himself alongside and be in Maxi more. But right now, Tyrese Maxi has a higher usage rate when playing alongside James Harden than James Harden does. And Joel Embiid has like a 37% usage rate. So he's taking a very big backseat. Now, James Harden's usage then jumps up to almost 40% in those lineups when Embiid's off the bench or on the bench. Uh, but he's playing a two different styles that I think is key if this is going to work long term. And I think it's a great sign. I think it's a great sign. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Maxi is basically playing the Kyrie role from last yeah. year, where Kyrie, like you said, before he got a little too deep on Reddit, he uh, he became this small shooting guard who played off Harden and really was off the ball and really looking to score, and he was spectacular. Like, it was his best season in a long time. He was super efficient and really really good. Maxi's going to do it in different ways. He's not the score Kyrie is one-on-one for sure yet, uh, at least. But uh, I thought like, especially early on in the the Minnesota game, just some of the transition pushes that they got for Maxi, where Maxi isn't even doing the pushing. He's just running and shot out of a cannon is the right term. Like he's just faster than people and Harden can push the ball up the floor. It, 
It's pretty wild. Seth Curry did a really good job here. Like, really good job. It is wild how much faster the team is. With yeah. a guy in James Harden who is a little chubby. <laughs> yeah. But just his just his ability. I mean, first off, his speed in the open court is he's much faster than Seth Curry. But just his general playmaking ability is he's such a faster decision maker than yeah. him and, and a better passer. I mean, yeah, it just I, I don't know. There, there were times I, I made the joke on Twitter, like they made one trade and they turned into seven seconds or yeah. less all of a sudden. And the game slowed down a little bit in New York. But I mean, like Embiid tore down the rim twice yesterday in transition. And some of that was off steals and whatever. But man, they're, they're getting easier points. It's just it's it's been really impressive. And yeah, I well, I thought also my other favorite play for Maxi was in that first game was at the end. And again, some of this is just bad defense. Like we mentioned Julius Randle. He was bad defense on some of these cool plays. D'Angelo Russell on Friday yeah. was also bad defense on some of these plays. But I, I do think there is something to glean from, you know, when Harden's doing the, the hypnotizing dance and he's dribbling through his legs, there are 10, ten eyes on him from the defenders. And Maxi caught it and D'Angelo Russell, like, Harden threw it before he even noticed. Maxi's all the way to the rim for a layup. Like, you're talking about the one in the corner? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So. And yeah, D'Angelo Russell's just cheating a little bit too much. And like you could see like Maxi and Harden just like catch eyes and like he's off. Like there's no chance. And, and I get it, they're they're bad defensive teams, but they're scoring 120 and 130 points against right. it. That's what you're supposed to do against bad yeah. teams. And like that's part of it too. Yeah, there are mistakes, but so many times this team in the half court couldn't take advantage of mistakes. Because yeah. you have the ball in Curry or Harris's hands and they just don't react that quickly. Or, you know, some of my favorite Harden plays so far, like they had a layup in transition off the of main basket. And it's not like Harden pushed the ball down their throats. Like he took like one lazy ass dribble, saw there was nobody on Matisse and just threw it up ahead. And like, those are just decisions that the Sixers never took advantage of before. Yeah. It's just having an elite passer and like against the wolves, wolves went zone there for a couple possessions, not a couple possessions, more than that. Yeah. And like, they got the ball in the middle. It was fucking like, wild. Like, like they just, got the just ball one in the little middle. pocket pass in the middle. One bounce the right pass time. right to Embiid. Like that uh, other players on the Sixers wouldn't even, Tyrese included, wouldn't even I, try. And, and I think it, they ran a pick and roll a couple plays later where Card was just like, hey, just screen one of the top two guys. Yeah. It was it was one dribble and one pass. And it was a Danny Green like yeah. wide open corner yeah. three. Yeah. Yeah. It's. <laughs> it's just so much easier. And like, well, yeah. how many years have we talked about, man, it's team's offense is so tough it's so tough it's you needed one guy you needed one guy that there was no good way to defend against and one guy who just saw the floor better than anyone else and as much as like and i think there's a little bit of revisionist history on on ben's passing like i think he was a great passer no matter what he just couldn't force rotation in the half court to save his life if you aren't a threat to score like there's only so much you can do in the half court to have somebody without any real limitations in the half court who is also an elite passer and sees the game as well as just about anyone in the league, it really opens up so much. So much. Just simple. Like, I think there's going to be a lot of stuff written about Matisse all of a sudden becoming a better cutter. He's not really a better cutter. He just has somebody who's seeing him and passing him the ball. Like, his cuts are being rewarded way more than they were three months ago. Uh, and that'll be nice to see. So, a couple hot takes on Ben. I, this, I, I don't want to crap on Ben too hard here. Uh, I I did laugh at I, who knew so many people i think sixers adam was one of them who who had the tweets ready to go james harden has passed ben simmons on the all-time i'm so mad at myself sixers three-pointer easy engagement and i just completely i know went, I, went. I wasn't even thinking about it but okay that was pretty funny I, that was that was objectively very funny yes okay so that's one thing but I, i'm gonna name two other things with simmons here uh that i'm sorry it's just like it's the other end of the spectrum in a, in a very bad way. He is. Remember all those snug pick and rolls that Brett tried to run because he realized these are my two best players and I got to do something to try and get them going together and how forced they were and how many times they ran it, no matter how much repetition, no much matter how much familiarity they had, it wasn't going to be that great. You can't overcome that level of clunkiness. No. This is the opposite of that. It took zero games for this to just look awesome because the skill sets are completely different. And to add on to it too, 
he's a he's such a better passer than Ben. It's not even close because it's it's like you said. Part of passing is the threat to score is a big part of it. That opens up passing lanes. Yep. Teams can play you differently. Now, size is another part about it, though. Although Harden, it whatever he is, six three, six four, whatever he is, still for for some reason passes kind of above his height. Like he's got those lasers to the opposite corner. That's really not an issue for him. Um, he's such a better passer, man. He just he sees it way quicker. But yeah, it's it's combining the threat of the thirty point per game scoring with that insane passing, just opens up a whole new world. And you see, Joel, I mean. He's having more fun than I've ever seen yeah. him have on a basketball well, it's court. Like you said, he doesn't have to fight for every point. Like every point was a battle before. Now it's easy. He's getting easy looks. Well, and a lot of free throws too. A lot of free throws. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he said it. He said it after the game. He said it in the locker room afterwards, I'm just happy I don't have to post up anymore. <laughs> and obviously like free throw line, like he got fouled a few times in the post, but I mean, he scored 37 points. He made one unassisted bucket from the post yesterday. Just one. Just one little fadeaway. Rest of them, all the, his other six field goals, assisted by James Harden. It's, uh, look, it, it was a very impressive start. I'm I'm excited to see what it looks like. But yeah, I just, how those two played and, and how Maxi took to the off-ball role, they're going to need him to shoot more, like you said. Like, I, I do think that's the the easier way for a defense to go about it. Like, I think, right, if you start Maxi and Thibel, I, I think defenses, we'll, we'll see if it matters in the regular season. I think the way you got to go about it is you guard Embiid and Harden with those two guys, men, and, and you literally concede practice threes to yeah. to those guys. That said, like, you concede a practice three to Maxi, I think you're going to score a lot of points yeah. uh, if you I do agree. that. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm, and I'm confident in Tyrese's catch and shoot shot over time. He's got to take he's more just, of them. It's yeah, just weird. Just, like he takes one and he's like, I'm done for the quarter on yeah. these two. It's like, come on, man. No, yeah. I think, I think he'll be fine. It's just, it's never, he's never been just a high volume catch and shoot guy. I think it'll take a little bit of time, but um, if he ever does and he's ever getting those closeouts consistently, oh my God, like he's going to score a bunch. He's going to score a bunch next to James. All right. The other, the other guy, Tobias. <laughs> Man, Not the great. facial expressions you've made for Not Tobias great. so far. Wow. He, so he, he actually, against the Wolves, he came out and he took a couple of early quick threes. I'm like, great. Like, as long as he's doing that, I'll be okay. I thought his shot selection for the beginning of that game, for most of that game, I would say, even the probably into the third quarter, I thought was excellent. The ball just wasn't going in the hole. Yeah. But when the ball doesn't go in the hole for Tobias, it seems like he just starts second guessing everything. There was a play against the Knicks where they ran a pick and roll with Harden and Tobias. And Harden starts going towards the corner, kicks back out to Tobias. Tobias has got eight feet of space. Eight feet of space, he either has a wide open uh, catch and shoot three, or he has a wide open driving lane. And he drives in the middle, easy kick out, either to a dump off to Matisse, or somebody was in the corner. Whoever rotates, it was the easiest decision in the world. Pump fake, jab step, jab step, two dribbles, turn around, kick it back out to Harden and it's like like dude you're wide open like you've got to start doing something with these and we always talk about quick decisions quick decisions quick decisions and I'm quite frankly sick of talking about it because yes it's true but Tobias is going to get in his head the minute he goes on a mini slump and it's just look I think Tobias is going to be eventually make those shots and when he does I think he's going to be good because I think he's going to get a lot more open looks than he has ever in Philadelphia like James I say, Harden, I would say transition too with the yes. the second units with Harden. If they can actually get some stops, like I think he will be yep. able to get some buckets in transition. And get the stops is a big point, and, and we'll get to that because there's some news here today that yeah, we'll get to that. So I think when he's going well, I think he's going to look pretty good because I think he's going to get some real good looks. My concern is a first time he gets in the slump, I think he's going to start hesitating, and hesitating next to Harden is the easiest way to eat up space. But also, B, he's going to be put in fewer pick and rolls. He's going to post up less. Two areas that are his comfort zone, if he's struggling with his outside shot, is he going to have anything to get him back into a groove? Maybe some of those slumps might end up being a little more extended than they have been. And quite frankly, the slumps have already been pretty extended. Uh, look, I think Tobias is going to have his moments because he's going to get a lot of open shots. I just, like, in that role, you need somebody with the, you need somebody who's going to miss six shots in a row and not give a fuck. You need you need George Niang who can hold his own defensively, 
And that's just not the kind of player Tobias is. Yeah, I mean, it, look, look, overall discouraging first weekend for him. He he was playing better leading up to the trade deadline. Uh, but yeah, like, look, his role is going to change. He's not going to have the ball in his hands. And it, it's funny, like, he's the guy that they'll run the first play of the half for just to try and keep him. It's like kind of the old center thing. Like, they yep. just kind of keep them engaged. Like, they'll run a post up for Gobert or somebody. Just let's get you, let's get you going on the other or end. Or DeAndre Jordan. Yeah, I think Doc used to do that with DeAndre. I guess that's where I remember that. Ugh. Um, Tobias, though, here's the thing: like he's gonna have to get his offense organically from Harden because when you play with James Harden, when you play with Tyrese, this Tyrese Maxim, when you play with Joel Embiid, they're they're not gonna run too many plays for you. And uh, yes, it is a bit awkward with Tobias's salary and and how he's being relegated to a fourth option, but. Look, he's going to have to make the best of it. And like you said, like he's going to just have to take like nine threes a game. Like that's just, that's part of it. And he's going to have to be confident doing so and not working into the mid range. Is Doc the right person to push him in that regard? We'll see. I hope he is. Uh, I hope he realizes with Harden it's a, it's a different ball game. Um, yeah, rough start. I mean, he did it. He did a nice job. <laughs> I was the, the one positive Tobias thing for, from the weekend. And it's funny, like on a normal night it, when James Harden was not debuting, this would have been one of the first things we talked about, like a unique game strategy thing. He did a nice job on Carl Anthony Towns when the Sixers said, let's put Embiid on Vanderbilt because he can't shoot. And uh, Tobias, once again, proved that he can he could bang a little bit with the bigger centers. Uh, yeah. But yeah, like he's just going to be better offensively. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's run through a couple of quick topics here because I feel like this is a chance to be like an hour and a half podcast if we don't sort of move forward because there's a lot, a lot of things to talk about. Sure. Matisse in the starting lineup. Do you keep that? Yeah. I mean, let's let keep it for now. You know, I mean, yeah. with, with how it's working, I, you know, I, I was a little surprised. I thought they were going to go with Danny. I, uh, you know, obviously like when you have Matisse and Danny, we talked about that on the, the trade reaction pod where very distinct pros and cons with those two and, and what they do. Uh, I thought that was some. Of, those were some of Harden's best passes all week. By the way, when he when he found Matisse, like Matisse was screening on one yeah. play in MSG, yeah. and like while he was screening, Harden was like looking at him, like just stop screening, take one step, and I'm gonna throw it to the rim for you, and you're gonna get a get an easy one. Yeah, well, because there was a guy in the corner, and he, that guy was having to defend both Matisse and the guy in the corner, and he just bit. Yep. And that's Harden's great passing, by the way. By the way, that's another one. I don't think Ben's throwing that pass. Uh, I don't think well, there'd looking, also looking be another ahead. guy in the paint too. So sure. Good point. Good point. Uh, so I would keep it for now. Uh, Doc said before the, I guess before the Minnesota game that, you know, it's not set in stone. It's, there's going to be some degree of trial and error here. And I, I also don't know if they'll stick with it at all times. You know, like I think there yeah. might be a matchup where Danny is required and, I think Matisse knows that. Like, I don't, I don't think he's etched in as the the fifth starter, but looked pretty good. And, you know, in that case, when it looked pretty good, all right, well, now you have Matisse to be able to guard the other team's better players. So, uh, yeah, I, I would keep that. No, I, I, I agree with you. I would keep it the way it is until there's someone gives you a reason not to. And yeah. I, do I worry about Matisse's shooting? Yeah. But so far, they've been able to work around that. I do think Matisse will be more effective as a cutter because James just sees those cuts and makes those reads and makes those passes on time. And there's more attention. There's more attention. He hit him with a great, he hit him. They ran a double drag at the end of the game yesterday. And I think, I think it was quickly had a decision whether to get out to Maxi on the weak side corner or Thibault and Harden threw it at the exact time. Each, yeah. he, he chose Maxi. His uh, timing yeah. really is incredible. Both as a score, like some of those pick and rolls he'll, he runs will look like they're in slow motion, but he's, he's really just reading and, and waiting for the right time. And his passing timing on passes is incredible. Um, so yeah, I, w- I would keep him in as well. And Danny, I really worry about defensively. Like I think he's taken a pretty significant step back. You do need a little bit of defense there for the playoffs. Um, until somebody can take advantage of that lack of spacing, I would I would keep it. Uh, and I'm not sure I would have said that before these two games, but now I would. Now I would. So what do you uh, think about the stagger? Well, I think I think the pairings are right. I think the Embiid Maxi pairing and the Harden Harris pairing is correct. And theoretically, I get what Doc's trying to do with the Harden-Harris pairing, where he's putting a bunch of switchable guys out there. 
because I do think there are a couple of miscommunications with Harden and Embiid defensively, especially in that first game against Timberwolves where Harden won to switch and Embiid doesn't really switch. Putting a second unit where you could switch theoretically almost everything makes sense. I just think Paul Millsap's washed in a really bad way. And Paul Millsap from four years ago would have been great, but right now he's not stretching the floor. He's not protecting the rim. You can't really switch him because he's going to get beat off the dribble. There were so many plays, especially against the Knicks, where they ran a pick and roll and they had Millsap rolling the basket and he just couldn't do anything with it. And if he's going to be playing like that, I don't see why he's playing over Willie Cauley-Stein. I don't see why he's playing over Paul Reed. Uh, we can get into the other guy, which, which will come up here in a second. Look, I get you probably wanted to play a little bit of Paul Millsap here, see what he had left in the tank because he hadn't really been playing with the Nets in a long time. I think I've seen enough. I think he's washed. Agree with that. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And also, like, I think you got to get Ferk off the, with the other stagger now. I think you got to get Ferk off the floor. Put Isaiah Joe out there. See what you got. I'm, he, I'm, I'm done with Ferk. He just forgot how to jump on his shot now. <laughs> it's like, what is he doing? And also, too, the... I, I guess Isaiah Joe does have a better argument for minutes because one of the arguments for Ferk is like, oh, he's a secondary ball handler. He's definitely better than Isaiah Joe with the ball in his hands. He can do a little bit more. You don't need that as much with James Harden oh. now and, and Maxie playing. So It's just amazing how all your shooters, like, they don't shoot this year. It's really frustrating. Like, you talk Isaiah Joe at 34% from three. You've got, I mean, Danny's still at 38%, but you've got Furkan. Furkan's under 30% from three. He's a and shooter. Th- and these are, by the way, he's under 30%. These are bad misses, too. Like, these are these are not in and outs. These are not, like, like he airballed by three feet yesterday. Yeah. That's really bad, dude. Like, and Shake really Milton. Bad. Like, Shake Milton would be, like, if you start talking about cutting your rotation down to, like, eight in the playoffs, I'd love for Shake Milton to be in there because he's the most competitive defensively of the three. I think I trust his decision-making a little more than the other ones, which is amazing because I wouldn't have said that last year. He's under 30% from three, too. Really yeah, fun. you would think Shake with Harden, especially too. Like, what what Shake's big issue? The the lack of Shake and and not being able to get by guys one on one. That doesn't matter as much with Harden. He creates advantage situations for you, and like you said, better decision maker, better defender. Yeah, it's just it's crazy. So I will say, kudos to Doc for for getting it right. I think like I was pretty curious on how he was going to stagger it. I think. Like we said, you do Embiid, Maxi, and you do Harden, Harris, and and you go from there. So we got it right. Very funny at the end of the third quarter when Maxi got in foul trouble and Doc pushed Harden too many minutes, and he had to play two minutes of all bench. You play two minutes of all bench now with no Maxi or whatever. Like you're you're just asking to give up points, and they you're gave talking, up like you're talking about the Wolves. Yeah, that was Wolves game. Yeah, and they gave up about twelve points in about yeah. two minutes. So and they didn't even get a shot up for a couple possessions too. 
like you said, I uh, Millsap is like, look, it's worth trying him out. Obviously has a, a very had a very good career, was like a winning basketball player for a long time. Uh whatever has happened over the past couple of years, it looks like he has just gotten too old to be a you know, a contributing player even at this point. It's like you said, I mean, you mentioned the Knicks game, he didn't do anything with it. It was like one of the first possessions in the Wolves game he got. Harden ran a pick and roll with him. He got two right to him, like Millsap yeah. down Broad Street and he passed it at the end. Like yeah. he couldn't finish it. And that's where it's like, all right, you got to get Cauley Stein in the game. Man. Like yeah. he'll at least dunk it. Like, I mean, he Harden is so good that if you just have the run and jump skill set and you're, even if you're a space cadet on the other end, whatever, he'll make you a better player in that, in that regard. He'll do everything else for you. So that's, uh, that's frustrating. And I'll just, I'll say it too. Like as mu- as positive as this first week is. And I think that shows like, no, the Sixers didn't give up too much in no. Seth Curry and Andre Drummond and a couple first-round picks for James Harden and how, frankly, he has changed their outlook and their their possibilities this season. Their, their backup center could be a really big fucking problem, man. Like, like really big. It, it, it's about as big of a hole, and they don't... You know what? We'll just say it right now with the, the Woj report that broke as, uh, as we were podcasting that... Uh, that they are very interested in signing DeAndre Jordan. You know what that means? That means they don't have an answer. And it's like, look, I, I think it was going that way anyway. It was, uh, you know, it's not like these great backup centers present themselves in the buyout market. But DeAndre Jordan has been a losing basketball player for a long ass time, man. Like just a straight up losing basketball player. He's been on good teams not the Lakers this year. They're not good. But the teams that are trying to win, and they can't play him because he hurts them. And if that is the answer, like, I don't know if that's any better than Paul Millsap. In my opinion, it might not be. But you also have, you know, you have Paul Reed. You have Charles Bassey, who are both young guys. I'm not sure I would count on them either. You have Willie Cauley-Stein, who you signed on a 10-day contract. I am. That is their biggest issue by a mile right now. It's it's like it feels like. In some ways, the Sixers are are better positioned than ever to win a title. I think they actually are, if this is the hard they are going to get. But we're back in 2019 again with the backup center situation because I, I do not see a playable one on this roster right now. Yeah, and look, DeAndre Jordan is super discouraging. It's super discouraging because that's all you need to know that Doc doesn't trust Paul Reed or Willie Cauley-Stein even a little bit. It's super discouraging because it tells you what they think about Paul Millsap, which, all right, I agree with that. We've seen him play. It's super discouraging because I think Paul, I think Doc Rivers still values DeAndre Jordan. And look, you'll look at some of DeAndre Jordan's advanced stats and, all right, they're bad the last two years, but I don't think they're nearly as bad as, as his impact actually has been because a lot of them tend to overrate rebounding and he can still rebound at a high level. He's a bad defensive player. He's a train wreck offensively. He should not be, and he can't move his feet in space at all. He should not be in a playoff rotation. And I would exhaust every option they have right now before resorting to DeAndre Jordan. I would give Willie Cully Stein a second 10 day and, and give him real minutes to see whether or not he can play because you're only talking about an eight minute per game role where he's got to run to the rim, roll to the rim and maybe switch a little defensively. And that's it. That's all you need from him. I'd give him real minutes, see whether or not he can fill that role. I would put Paul Reed in this role, see whether or not he can fill that role. I would not sit here and feel like I have to pounce on the opportunity to be the team that signs DeAndre Jordan when he clears waivers. If somebody else does that, good for them. He is, oh, I, I do not want to watch that in the playoffs. And it's scary because. I agree with you. That's somebody that I think Doc would play. And yeah, he, here are his um, cleaning glass. Here is the differential when he is on the court compared to when he's off the court in his last one, two, three, four, six stops. Clippers 27 or 17, 18 minus 5.2 when he's on the floor compared to off Dallas uh, in 18, 19 minus 1.5. That's the high watermark, everybody. Knicks, minus 10.3. Brooklyn, 19.20. Minus 2.9. And he was playing with Kyrie Irving a lot of that time, too. 
Brooklyn last year, minus 11.1. Lakers this year, minus 13.1. I'm sorry. Like, you know, I know Daryl Morey, he he kind of took a victory lap on the Andre Drummond thing when people freaked out about that signing. This one, this is way worse than that. It just, yeah. Andre Drummond is worlds better than DeAndre Jordan. Worlds better. And I think, I think Daryl just like, he's never going to invest a whole lot in that backup center spot, which I he, agree with. He knows he's, they're only going to play eight to 10 minutes per game in the playoffs, which I agree with, but every old slow big man that comes available doesn't mean you have to sign him just because doc wants him like, <laughs> I don't want to, <laughs> I'm, I'm worried about that for sure. Think about, think about it. If you stagger like we saw this weekend, so that means he's going to play with Harden, which on the offensive end. Okay, like, is he like a better pick and dive center, like a better guy than than Willie Cauley Stein at this point? I I can't imagine so. Then there's no point because it's gonna be it's gonna be worse defensively than anything Cauley Stein does. Oh man, it's just really bad. I it's that is their big concern moving forward, and I don't want to. We don't want to get on this for too long because no. I, I think it's. It really should be an overwhelmingly positive thing yes. with with how Harden is debuted. But like, let's be real. Like, we're, we're talking on the margins and trying to win a championship and all of those things. That is like officially scary at this point. That backup center. I have no idea what they're going to do. They do not. That does not scream any sort of answer to me. No. Like the answer to me is like, don't play a center at all. Compared to that, which yeah. is also not a good answer. No. <laughs> Look, and it's it, here. Here's the thing, too. Is trading Drummond like in the grand scheme of things, is that a huge deal? No, like if the Nets wanted him, that's not something I would have uh no, we gotta keep Andre Drummond. He can't <laughs> right, have James no. Harden. No. But man, like that that's screwing with them a little bit because it would be really nice to have Andre Drummond. It would be really nice to not have DeAndre Jordan too. Well, that's what I meant. It, it, instead of DeAndre Jordan. Uh yeah. Okay. Set our piece right. there. So I'm not sure because I, I think we're, we're at about 45 minutes. I don't want to get too deep into this because I feel like we could probably go another hour or more. You've got the Knicks coming up on Wednesday for a rematch, this time at the Wells Fargo Center. And then a couple of really interesting, a string of really interesting ones. Their schedule is hard after yeah. this for like two or three weeks. The Cavs in Philly, the Heat in Miami, and then the Bulls in Philly and the Nets in Philly. That's a real good stretch. And then you've got the Nuggets in Philly a little later on in the month. So you will learn a lot more about this team here. That Miami game specifically, I'm really looking forward to. March 10th, Brooklyn game. I, w I mean, look, I'm looking forward to it because you might have Durant and Kyrie. I wouldn't expect the other guy. But I'm really looking forward to that one too. There is a lot to watch here. I'm, I'm sort of glad that they have a lot of their schedule of their tough remaining games still to come because I think you want to have something to benchmark this team against. And f you want to find out what your weaknesses are before you hit the playoffs. And with at least two, what do they have? Two or three against Miami. They certainly have at least one more against the Bucks. Um, they've got, I think the uh, Suns are coming into town, uh, although that will be without no, they're, Paul. They're going to the Suns. Well, they're, they're playing the Suns um, regardless. There's a lot of interesting games. The Nuggets, Nuggets are coming into Philly. There's a lot of interesting games coming up, a lot of benchmarks, a lot of tough matchups. Uh, so I think that would be great to watch for sure. I do too. And, you know, Embiid talked about it. I think even before that Minnesota game, when he did the rare, he did the rare shoot around. Joel, he's uh, excited about Harden. He uh, he talked about how he was looking forward to playing a harder schedule, and, and I would say with, especially with how it looks like they're how high their baseline is with this Harden crew, like I think they're going to be fine during that stretch. Like they're going to lose some games for sure, but it looks like they're not going to fall apart during that uh during that stretch and they're gonna present a lot of these teams with with problems and and the other so so it would be cool to play against these good teams because like we have said 22 games left or 23 whatever the the number of games left not a lot of time to, to get up to speed for the playoffs so you might as well play against some good teams and, and the other cool thing about it is too like if they do lose some games i don't really think that matters that much this no. year because like I'm sure they would love to have the number one seed and home court advantage. First off, they haven't been that good at home this year. I still think all things being equal, they would rather have it. That's number one. But the other part of this too is like, 
the East is going to be so goofy with the matchups this year where like, yeah. I think the one seed, if the Nets come out of the the play-in and they're the eight, like that's a harder first round matchup than, I don't well, know, like the four not five. Only that, but that would, that would knock out one of Miami or Brooklyn right off the, right off the jump. Yeah. So they, uh, yeah. So, so I don't know. Like, I think it, it doesn't really matter. I, I think it's just th- them getting more familiar with each other. If they're the two seed, if they're the five seed, I'm not sure it really matters all that much as long as they have Harden and Embiid and sync and they're healthy and all that good stuff come, uh, come playoff time. But yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to, uh, to watching Harden play against some teams. And I'm sure like you kind of said earlier, they're going to bring some new wrinkles on defense. They're going to make the Sixers look a little, a little bit worse at times, but you know, we'll see. I, uh, I, I do feel good about my prediction though, that like, they're going to win with the top three offense. Like that's, that's what this is going to be. Like yeah. they're, they're going to score a shit ton of points and it looks yeah. like, looks like they might be capable of it. So, yeah. And look, I'm not a hundred percent sure who, like if I'm going to give probabilities to the top teams in the East, I'm not sure yet whether or not I would give the Sixers the top probability of winning the East, but they have a, I mean, they're very much in the running. Like this is a team that has championship equity. I did not feel that way before the trade deadline. I did not think this hardened trade was going to come to fruition before the trade deadline. I thought I thought there was a good chance it would happen. I thought it would be in the summer. So to have this sort of new lease on the season, uh, if you're a Sixers fan, you should be excited because this is, I mean, this is probably the best basketball team you've had in 35 years, maybe. Like, I guess you can make an argument for the Jimmy Sixers team, which I think was a legitimate championship contender. And certainly make an argument for the AI-01 team. Although I'd argue when they got to the finals, they had maybe a 5% chance of winning that series. I think the Sixers have more than a 5% chance of winning the title this year. I think this is a better team than that 01 team, whether or not they had the success. Regardless, we can debate all of that later. You have real championship equity, uh, and that doesn't happen all that much in this franchise. No. No, Harden is... Look, there's a reason everybody was going crazy when they got him. Uh, and people go crazy for all sorts of trades. This is one where it was it was justified. He is he is that good. Uh, some more equity, uh, some free throw equity too. Like, do you think we can get over a three hour game at one point? Do you think oh, that yeah. might happen? Yeah, that'll happen. That'll oh, happen. Yeah. three hour regulation game. Yeah, they are yeah, going to become happen. the enemies of the NBA so for fast. sure. For sure. <laughs> I was scared yesterday. I booked a pretty early train. I booked I think for a one <laughs> for a one o'clock game like. I booked a 517 train out of New York. Man, I was getting pretty scared. <laughs> but they, credit to Embiid and Harden, they, they they got out pretty quickly. I don't know where, maybe they had somewhere to go afterwards or just hop on the train back to Philly or whatever. But uh, good, good for them. They got they got it done because they, they also got it done at the line, parking their, their butts there the whole game. Some late nights at the Wells Fargo Center, but that will be okay because you as Sixers fans will come out with a lot of wins. And we will have a lot to talk about. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.